anyway, grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 11. Uh, Luke chapter 11, if you don't have a Bible, there is a hardback black Bible under the chair underneath you or in front of you. Grab that Bible, have it open this morning. Uh, it's going to be page 870 uh, is where we're going to hang out. We have got a whole lot of ground to cover this morning, so we're going to skip the recap from last week. If you missed last week's message, you can go listen to it this afternoon. It's online. Go to our website, albertachurch.com media. There you'll find uh, links to our YouTube channel, to our podcast pages on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the rest. But this morning, we're just going to dive right in. Luke chapter 11, we're going to start at verse 37, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. And then we're going to be done with Luke until February. Anyway, that's more later. But let's, let's take a look at this. The Bible says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves. And people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Elsewhere in Scripture, we read that the grass withers, that the flower falls, but that the word of the Lord remains forever, and this is the word of the Lord. Can we pray? Father, this morning we are coming to a confrontational text. Would you confront us? Would you help us to see the warnings that are here and help us to see how they apply to us? Father, would, would you put a pebble in our shoe so that as we see these warnings, we, we wouldn't hear them and walk away and go on with our days, but we would really meditate on what they're telling us and that we would hear from you, and that as we hear from you, we would make changes where changes are necessary. Would you help us to live for you, to make much of your name in every aspect of our lives, 
Holy Spirit, we need your help today as, as we encounter your word. Would you work in our hearts? And if there's someone here today who's never repented of their sin, who's never placed their faith in you, Holy Spirit, would you draw them in? Would you change their heart? Would you lead them to repentance? Would you save souls? The, the work that's going to happen this morning, Father, will not happen if you do not do it. And so we ask you to work. We, are lay, we lay ourselves before you and, and we ask that you would work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Somehow, I don't know how, but somehow Thanksgiving is upon us. I don't know about you. Does it feel like November has flown by? Like, man, like it's, it's going to be next year before you know it. But, but this is where we are this Thursday. Many of us are going to gather around our tables to enjoy good food with family or friends. And as we do, I, I know that many of us are going to take a moment to express what it is we're thankful for. And it's in the spirit of, of thanksgiving that I, I want you to consider a question today. How can you give thanks to God this week? I'm sure there's many good answers out there, but this morning I'd like you to to consider one option and one way to express your gratitude, your thanksgiving to God, is to live as an authentic Christ follower in every aspect of your lives. But what does that phrase mean, authentic Christ follower? It's in our church's vision statement. I don't know if you knew this, but we're going to throw it up on the screens for you. We are a family of authentic Christ followers who exists to love God and love people. That's our vision statement, our mission statement. That is why we exist. We're a family of authentic Christ followers who exists to love God and love people. But what does it mean to be an authentic Christ follower? I think our text today is going to teach us that because this section of Luke chapter 11 is teaching us what it looks like to live authentically for Jesus. And as we look closely, what we're going to see is that following Jesus isn't about outward confirmation, it's about inward transformation. And that's our main idea today. As Jesus rebukes this Pharisee and these lawyers, he's going to call them to see that true holiness True righteousness, it isn't about what's on the outside. It isn't about the rules that we follow. It isn't about external purity. True holiness, true righteousness is about having hearts that have been transformed to look like Jesus. This text is teaching us that following Jesus isn't about outward confirmation. It isn't about conforming on the outside. It's about inward transformation. It's about having your heart and then your life transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like our Thanksgiving meals that we're going to have this Thursday, this whole section begins with an invitation to eat. Take a look, beginning at verse 37, Luke tells us, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now, this whole section is coming out of what we saw last week. As Jesus was concluding his teaching about our need to respond to him and to everything that God was doing through him, this Pharisee invites Jesus over for a meal. 
It all begins with an invitation to dinner, and Jesus accepted the invitation. Now, that in and of itself is noteworthy. Because as we've come to this point in Jesus's ministry, Luke's made it pretty clear. The Pharisees are not Jesus's friends, right? The Pharisees are the ones that are out to get Jesus. They're watching him. They're trying to trap him. These guys are not supportive of Jesus. And yet, when one of them invites Jesus over for dinner, he accepted I want you to see that because this is giving us a glimpse into the heart of our Savior. Jesus loves people. He he steps right into the lives of people, even people who don't like him, even people who want to kill him. He spends time with them because he loves them. That's worth seeing right here. But as Jesus goes to the Pharisee's house and reclines at table with him, he he didn't wash his hands before dinner. Now, Jewish tradition had made these kinds of pre-dinner washings an important part of ritual purity. And while the law describes such washings, it does not mandate them. So, So Jesus doesn't do it. He chooses not to. It's not required. But for the Pharisee, this is scandalous. He, he, he doesn't actually say anything to Jesus, though. Like, did you notice that? Like, the Pharisee doesn't say anything to Jesus. He, he, Jesus obviously sees his face, and he knows his thoughts, and, but the Pharisee didn't say anything. So Jesus responds anyway. Keep reading there in verse 39. Luke tells us, And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but... Inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Now, now as I read that, can, can I just confess for a moment? I, my first reaction is, well, that escalated quickly, right? Like Jesus just comes in off the top rope. He's holding nothing back. It, it kind of seems that way, right? But what's happening here goes deeper than just these ritual washings. The the Pharisee was shocked by Jesus' disregard for this customary washing. But in that shock, Jesus saw an example of everything that was wrong with the Pharisee's approach to God, with their approach to righteousness and holiness. One pastor noted that their obsession with washings was an exercise in missing the point, akin to merely washing the outside of the cup and of the dish while ignoring the inside, the part you actually use. And so Jesus seizes the opportunity to boldly confront and correct the Pharisees. He takes issue of washings. He takes this issue and he broadens it to the real issue. He broadens it to real purity. You see, the the Pharisees were, were very diligent when it came to external purity, external cleanliness, but on the inside, their hearts were far from God. And so Jesus tells them that. He he says, you're full of greed and wickedness. Listen, this last Wednesday, I I came home from church Wednesday evening, and I I went into my um, evening routine there at the farm and taking care of the goats. We go out to the goat barn, take care of the does, and and then we go out front to the the buck barn. Um, And I always try to get in and out of the buck barn as fast as possible because they're in rut, and just like deer, when they're in rut, they stink to high heaven. 
Uh, and so I, I get out to the buck barn, and I get their grain ration, and I give them their grain ration, and then I look over to their water bucket that's inside the barn, and as, as I look there, I see the, the bucket on the outside looks clean, it looks good, but when I walked up to the bucket, and I looked into the bucket, there, floating in the water, was this dead mouse. Well, that changes everything. Like, for a minute, I, I thought I was going to be able to skip out on changing their water, it's going to get out of there even faster. But before that bucket could be used again, it had to be sanitized. It had to be cleaned out because it was full of death. And that's what Jesus is saying those Pharisees are like. They were good at looking holy and righteous on the outside. They were good at external confirmation. But on the inside, on the part that no one can see, their hearts were filthy, full of wickedness, sin, and spiritual death. The Pharisees were a bunch of hypocrites. And so Jesus calls them out. He uses this bold language. He calls them fools but he's doing it because he's trying to get them to change course. He wants them to correct. You see, they, they thought that they could divide their lives in two. They thought they could have an inner self over here and an outer self over here. They thought they could be one person in public and another person in private. But Jesus corrects that attitude. The one who created the outside created the inside too. You can't divide yourself like that. But that's exactly what they were doing. And so Jesus called them out. But as I was studying this passage this last week, I, I couldn't help but see that that's exactly what we are tempted to do on a regular basis. We try to divide our lives in two. There's what's on the outside that everyone can see, and, and then there's what we truly feel and believe and, and think on the inside, and, and often those two are diametrically opposed. We present ourselves as though we've got everything together. We present ourselves as good Christians on the outside in public, but at home in private, we're a completely different person. And, and if you wonder, maybe, maybe, Josh, are you exaggerating? You're pushing the point. Here's a good test for you. Just imagine if it were possible to take everything that went on over the last week in your mind. Every thought, every prayer, every desire, every impulse that went through your mind. If you were to, we were able to take that and, and just put it on these two screens right here. Would you be able to stand up here as everybody watched? Or would you shrink in horror as your inner self is exposed? I don't know about y'all, but I think most of us would make a beeline for the door. We would be petrified. We'd never come back to this building again. Because the reality is we all do this. We present ourselves one way on the outside, but on the inside we're completely different. And like the Pharisees, Jesus is calling us out. But Jesus doesn't just give us the problem. He gives us the solution as well. Keep reading in verse 41. Jesus says, but give as alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. Now, at first glance, that might be a little confusing, right? 
especially if you think about what's within. What, what did Jesus say the Pharisees had on the inside? There in verse 39, Jesus told the Pharisees, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. What's within? Greed and wickedness. And here Jesus is telling them to give that away as alms. This is why I think the ESV does a pretty good job of translating this verse because they, they translate it pretty literally. Some of the other verses take that word alms and they, they translate it as give to the poor. And, and the challenge with that is, is that the idea of almsgiving is, is way more radical than, than our modern idea of generosity. So the action that Jesus is calling for here is this radical giving up of what's within. So again, what's inside? Greed, wickedness, sin. Jesus is calling us to give away your greed and your wickedness. Get rid of your sin. Get rid of everything on the inside that is making you dirty and spiritually dead. And then you'll be clean on the outside. You see, the solution that Jesus is offering is to have your heart transformed on the inside. Radi radically give up anything and everything. Give up your sin. Give up your greed. Give up your wickedness and lust. Surrender it all. Give it away radically, and then you'll be clean. Then everything's clean. The whole emphasis of Jesus' solution is that if you want to be clean on the outside, you first have to be clean on the inside. Once your heart is transformed by Christ, once your mind is conformed to Christ, then the outside will be clean. Following Jesus isn't about outward confirmation. It's about inward transformation. It's about living authentically for him. That's Jesus' chief message to the Pharisees and the lawyers there in the room. And that's his chief message for us here in Luke chapter 11. Live authentically for him. There shouldn't be a disconnect between your private life and your public life. You should be the same person here on Sunday that you are on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. You should be the same person here in church that you are when you go to work or you go to school or you're in your neighborhood or you're hanging out with your friends or you go out to dinner at a restaurant. You're the same person who's been shaped into the image of Jesus because your heart has been transformed. There shouldn't be a disconnect. That's the point that Jesus is making here. And as he makes that point, then he continues on. And in the remainder of chapter 11, he's, he's going to pronounce six woes. Three of them against the Pharisee, and then three of them against the lawyers that are there in the room with him. These woes are warnings. They're, they're a lot like our modern red flag. They're calling attention to a problem that needs to be addressed or corrected. And here's the thing. As we look at each of these, we're going to see that they're red flags for us as well. These are flags we should be looking to see if they pop up so that if we see them, we can correct them. 
So, so really quick, let's look at these. We're going to move fast, I promise. But there in verse 42, we see the first one. Jesus says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So the first red flag that Jesus highlights is one of incomplete generosity. Incomplete generosity. He notes that they're good at tithing to the point where they don't just tithe financially, but they tithe their herbs and spices. They're giving a tenth of their money, but they're also giving a tenth of their mint a tenth of their pepper and garlic and cumin, a tenth of their Montreal steak seasoning. They're giving a tenth of everything. These guys have turned tithing into a science. And at first glance, it seems like their approach to how they deal with their wealth is actually very godly. It seems like it's really good, but in focusing all of their attention on tithing, on this one law that was given to ensure the Levites were taken care of, that was given so that the temple had what it needed, so that those who led their worship would have something to eat. In making such a mountain out of their generosity in tithing, they failed to be generous with what mattered the most. They neglected justice. They neglected their love for their neighbor. They neglected their love for God. Listen, what's happening here? These guys are getting straight A's with the minor command. And they're failing in the major command. Because the tithe, that that giving that God has commanded them to do, it was never what was most important to God. We were talking about this last Wednesday night in in my group upstairs. I I said something that's downright scandalous for a pastor to say. And I'm going to say it to you now. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't. He doesn't want your stuff. God wants you. He wants you to live in faithful, obedient relationship with him. Your giving is just the outflow of what he's done for you because you recognize that he's given it all to you anyway and it all belongs to him. But God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your stuff. He wants you. He wants your heart. And what I want you to recognize this morning is that your gift isn't limited to to financial giving. Like like when he's talking here about giving, it's not just your, your financial gift. It's your time. It's your talent. It's your love. It's your generosity toward others. It's giving out to bring the kingdom in. That's what this is all about. So the first red flag is this incomplete generosity. And listen, this is a flag for us too. Because often when we look at our generosity, we look at it as like, like what do I have to give up? Right? Like Christmas is coming. Parents, how many of you are like, well, how much money do I have to spend on my kids? Right? Like, this is a safe place. You can, you can shake your head. Nobody's looking around. It's just me, right? Everybody bow your heads, raise your hand. No, I'm joking. Um, but this is how we look at generosity, right? We, we look at generosity like, what do I have to give up? We ask, what do I have to give? But, but what if? What if we asked, what can I give? 
Instead of asking, how much do I need to serve in my church? What if we asked, how can I serve in my church? Instead of asking, how much generosity do I need to show to my neighbors? What if we asked, how can I show generosity to my neighbors? The first red flag we might have that that shows us we're not living as authentic followers of Jesus, that we're not authentic Christ followers, is that we have incomplete generosity. But the second red flag is, is that we're full of pride. Take a look there at verse 43. Jesus says, woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Jesus' second warning to the Pharisees is that they have traded humility for pride. They liked the best seats. If they were here at church, they'd have that back row filled in, right? Because that's the best seat in a Baptist church, right? We all know that. But they liked those best seats. Sorry, guys, I wasn't calling you out, I promise. Don't, don't look at them, don't look at them. Hey, we don't have time for this. Back, back with me, back with me, okay. This is why I have a sermon transcript. Hal, sit down. Now I can't use the recording. But that's what these Pharisees liked. They liked the back seat, the best seat. They liked the greetings in the marketplace. They, they liked getting out there in public and having everybody say, hey, how's it going? You're such a great guy. They, they liked the honor. They liked all of that. In fact, that was what was most important to them. Everything that they've done, all of their studying of the scriptures, all of their works, all of their tithing, all of their ritual purity, all of their external behavior, it's all so that they can get those things. And that's the problem. Jesus is calling them out because their religion isn't about relationship with God. It's about what they can get for themselves. They're full of pride. And so Jesus calls them to task. But what we should see is that this is a red flag for us as well. So so here's the test. When you're living out your faith, are you doing it? for the response you're going to get from others? Or are you doing it because you love Jesus? Are you doing it because you love the Lord? Like when you make that post on on social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever the other ones are, like, like when you serve others, when you give generously, when you pray over your meal in a restaurant, when you come to these church gatherings, are you finding yourself more proud of the fact that you're doing these things or of the fact that Jesus paid the price for your sin and has reconciled you to God? Like, what's driving you? Listen, pride is a dangerous monster. And it leads many of us into sin. It'll lead me to sin. We have to put our pride to death because pride can destroy relationships and families. Pride can destroy churches. So as you serve the Lord, don't be afraid to check yourself. And if you find that you're wrong, if you find, man, my pride is flaring up, confess that to God. Do yourself a favor, 
confess it to someone else as well. Tell them, listen, I'm struggling with my pride. I need help with this. Would you, would you help hold me accountable? We all need this. Pride is a dangerous thing. And the second red flag here is that they're full of pride. But the third red flag there is, is a negative example. Take a look at verse 44. Jesus says, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Now, now this, one, this one is a little bit harder to understand on first glance, uh, mainly because our cultural context is completely different. But, but if we remember that under the Mosaic law, coming into contact with, with a dead body made you unclean, we'll begin to understand what Jesus is saying right here. Jesus is telling the Pharisees who, who saw themselves as paragons of purity, he's telling them that they're not, that they're more like unmarked graves. Now, now what's the problem with an unmarked grave? Anybody can just walk right over it without knowing, and, and now they're unclean. You can have an encounter with an unmarked grave, and, and all of a sudden, instead of being holy, you're unclean. And, and that's the problem here. These, these Pharisees are like unmarked graves. Their example of corrupt spirituality makes them repulsive and full of death. And when people come into contact with them, they lead those other people into death. So rather than leading people into holiness, they're leading people into death. Because their form of religion doesn't lead to life. The example they set doesn't lead to life. Like, like if your little kids are looking up and seeing the Pharisee, that's, that's not going to lead to true holiness. In fact, it leads to the very opposite. It leads to death. And as we see that, maybe, maybe we should pause and ask ourselves, what does my example do? What does my example do? Because I can tell you, and I'm sure you, you guys know, there are a whole lot of people that will not darken the door of a church because of so-called Christians who look a whole lot more like these Pharisees than they do Jesus. Right? They're hypocritical. They're full of pride. They're, they're just mean. They, they look nothing like Jesus. The example you set matters. Don't you dare walk out of this church and go to a restaurant and be nasty to your waitress. Don't you dare. You represent Christ and they know you're coming from church, right? Our example matters. So what example are you setting? We should check that. We should ask what kind of example we're setting. We should ask ourselves, what does my example, what does my life say about Jesus? What does, what, what does my life and example say about the gospel? What does what I do with my time, with my money, with, with my life, what does it say about my faith? Am I setting a good example that will lead others to know, love, and follow Jesus? Or am I a negative example like these Pharisees? Am I an unmarked grave? That's the third red flag. But as Jesus has been talking, calling out the Pharisees, apparently he riled up at least one of the lawyers in the room uh, because there in verse 45, the lawyer speaks up. 
take a look. Luke tells us, one of the lawyers asked him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. So, so the lawyer recognizes that Jesus isn't just calling out the Pharisees. He recognizes that he's calling out the whole religious establishment. But as the lawyer speaks, he grabs Jesus' attention, and now Jesus is going to turn his next three warnings to the lawyers in the room. So take a look, because we're going to see our fourth red flag in verse 46. The Bible tells us, and he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Now, what was the lawyer's job? The lawyer's job was to interpret the Mosaic law. And the law itself was meant to lead people to God. It was meant to lead them into righteousness. But rather than just interpreting the laws, the lawyers added to them. They added extra rules that had to be followed. And when the people failed to keep their man-made rules, it left them spiritually defeated. Instead of helping them to know, love, and serve the Lord, these lawyers made it harder. Their added rules multiplied the ways that a person could offend God, but did nothing to show them how to please him. And they didn't lighten any burden. The lawyers weren't being any help at all. They, would, they wouldn't even lift a finger, Jesus says. You know what this red flag is called? It's called legalism. It's legalism. And church, we do this all the time. We like to make rules about what it means to be a Christian and what it doesn't. Even in this modern church where we're not legalists, we're still legalists. We make rules like Christians don't watch rated R movies. Christians don't drink alcohol. Christians never swear. Christians read their Bible every day. Christians pray over every meal. Christians always tip 20%. Christians never lose their temper. Christians never have doubt. Christians fill in the blank. We love to make these rules. And while these rules may be good, while there may be wisdom in some of these rules, ultimately what happens is we begin to live for the rules. We begin to think that we can find our righteousness in the rules. And here's the thing. We can't. We can't keep the rules. We fail. And the rules show no mercy. The rules show no grace. They just leave us defeated and isolated from God. That's legalism. And it doesn't lead to life. Listen, we've been set free from this. We've been set free from the law so that we can live for Christ. We find our righteousness in Christ, not in legalism. So ask yourself, where do I find my righteousness? Where do I find my hope? Do I find it in Christ? Or do you find it in that white-knuckled discipline of just holding on to the rules, always getting it right 100% of the time? That's what makes me holy. Where's your righteousness? 
If you're living in legalism, you're not living authentically for Christ. So that's our fourth red flag, but we see the fifth in verses 47 through 51. Take a look. Jesus says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom you, your fathers, killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Now, there is a whole lot here in in this chunk of scripture that, that we don't have time to delve into. But the red flag is that in this generation, like their fathers before them, they refused to listen to the word of God. Their their fathers had the prophets, and they killed the prophets. And these guys built the tombs for the prophets, celebrating what their fathers had done. They're all unwilling to listen to the word of God. That's the red flag. And that's something that we're going to struggle with even today. Because our society does not like this book right here. You recognize that, right? I'm not preaching doom and gloom here. I'm just telling you, that's reality. They don't like this book. They tell us it's for a different time and a a different generation. They tell us it's outdated, but if you're going to live as an authentic Jesus follower, if you're going to do that, you have to be governed by the word. This is our source of truth and hope. This is what leads us to know and love and follow Jesus. This is what leads us to life in Christ. We have to listen to it regardless of what the world says. So the, the staff and I have been reading through a book together. Um, I, I recommend it to just about everybody. It's called You Are a Theologian. Great book. But we've been reading this book together. And in the introduction to this book, the authors cite an incredibly alarming study. In a survey that was conducted last year, in, in 2022, by Lifeway Research and Ligonier Ministries, they asked professing evangelical Christians several questions. Here's what they found. 48% confessing evangelical Christians. 48% agreed with the statement, God learns and adapts to different circumstances. 65% agreed with the statement, everyone is born innocent, in the eyes of God. 56% agreed with the statement, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 56% of confessing evangelical Christians. This one hurts. Maybe most disturbing of all. 43% agreed with the statement, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 43% of confessing evangelical Christians 
There's over 100 people in the room. That's 43 people in this room think that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. How is that possible? They don't know their Bible. Because their Bible makes it abundantly clear. This is God's word. It tells us Jesus is God. It tells us that we are all born in sin. It tells us that God never changes. It tells us that there is one way to God, not many. As Christians, we must be governed by the word. Listen, we are a people of the book. That's who we are. This is our source of truth. This is how we know who God is and what God has done for us. This is God's word for us. We need to know it. We need to study it. We need to meditate on it. We need to memorize it. This is our source of truth. We have to listen to the word of God. I don't know how we can be more emphatic about this. I think this is the biggest red flag that is plaguing the American church. We don't know what this says. And the shame is we all have it. Like you have God's word available to you. Most households have multiple copies in multiple translations. We must listen to God's word. We have to. That's the fifth red flag. Maybe the biggest. Authentic Christ followers listen to the word of God. Do you? Don't answer quickly. Do you? There's a sixth red flag there in verse 52. Take a look. Jesus says, woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. The final red flag is that these lawyers are obstacles to others knowing God. Jesus says they've taken away the key of knowledge, and what he's talking about there is that these lawyers, they have access to God because of who they are as God's chosen people because of the fact that they have the the Torah. They have God's revealed will for them. They've got the prophets from of old because they have all of that. That's the key. And yet they haven't stepped in faith. Worse maybe than that, they're, they're keeping others from entering into relationship with God. They're not leading others to know him and love him and, and follow him. And there's a similar flag here for us. The red flag for us is there's no gospel proclamation in our lives. Because the reality is we have the gospel. As I said a moment ago, we have it in our own language. Most of us have it in multiple translations. We know what God has done. We know that Jesus came and put on flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he died for our sin in our place on the cross, that he rose in victory over sin and death. We know that if we'll repent of our sin, if we'll place our faith in him, he forgives our sin, he gives us his righteousness. We know all of that. But if we don't share it with others, 
that's a red flag that you're not living as an authentic follower of Jesus. Because Jesus called all of his disciples to share his good news. You only need to have been here one time before today to know that this is true. Because every Sunday we end our services the same way. We recite together Matthew 28, 18 through 20 together. Most of you have it memorized now. He's called all of us to share his good news. So that's the final red flag. There's no gospel proclamation. As Jesus called out the Pharisees and the lawyers, he made it clear following him isn't about outward confirmation. It's about inward transformation. And after he made that clear, he pronounced these six woes that give us six warnings, six red flags to be on the lookout for. Things that'll help us to know if we're living as authentic Christ followers. Things that'll help us to know if we've been experiencing that inward heart transformation that leads to outward life transformation, that leads us to love Jesus and live for him in every aspect of our lives. And again, I'm, I'm going to just come back to the beauty of how Jesus came. Because as Jesus came, he, he could have condemned them all in this moment, but instead he gives them these warnings. He gives them an opportunity to respond. Incidentally, they don't, right? Like we read in the last two verses how as Jesus left, they started looking for a way to trap him so they could get rid of him. But they didn't get the message. But that doesn't mean that we can't. That doesn't mean that we will miss the message, that it isn't available to us. Jesus, in his kindness, gave them an opportunity to respond, and he gives us an opportunity to respond as well. Because while Jesus was taking the, the religious leaders to task as he was talking to Pharisees and lawyers in this passage, he was also talking to us. You see, we don't have Pharisees today. We, we don't have the legal lawyers. We don't have priests. We have the priesthood of all believers. Every single one of us is called to disciple and to be discipled. And so what that means is that these warnings, these six red flags, they're for us too. So maybe you need to take a moment later today. As you go home, can you throw those six flags on the screen there? As you're going home, think about each one of these. Like, like really consider them. Are any of these flags sticking up in your life? If they are, that, that's a warning. That's a call to correct. It's a call to live authentically for Jesus. Following Jesus isn't about outward confirmation. It's not about looking good on the outside, playing the good Christian. It's about having your heart transformed on the inside. It's about inward transformation. Have you been transformed by Jesus? My prayer is, is that you have been. If you haven't, Come follow Jesus. It's worth it. It's worth it. If you have, live for him in everything. Live authentically for him. Can we pray? Father, we, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you for what it is confronting us with. God, I ask that you would help us to take this and apply it to our lives that we would live authentically for you in everything that we do. Help us to walk out of here and, and be changed. Help us to stew on this. Put, 
put these six flags as a, a pebble in our shoe that we can't escape so that we're living more for you in everything that we do. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in us. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.